This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 15th of April 2023 on Monocle Radio. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House here in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up, we'll have a look through the front pages with Yossi Meckelberg. Monocle's contributing editor, Andrew Muller, recaps what we learned this week. We learned that a pair of unwillingly roused citizens sought to remonstrate with the monopolists armed with a stick and a samurai scimitar, after which an amount of mayhem ensued. And we talked to Lisa Langset, the Swedish playwright, about her London production of The Woman Who Turned Into a Tree. That's all coming up here in the next 30 minutes. But first, the news. French President Emmanuel Macron's flagship pension reform will enter into force swiftly after it received the Constitutional Council's approval yesterday. The verdict clears the way for the 45-year-old president to enact the law, offering him a political lifeline he aims to use to pursue a broader reform agenda after a tumultuous few months marred by strikes, protests and violence. Foreign ministers of the Group of Seven Nations will focus on the security of both Europe and the Indo-Pacific as they gather in Japan from Sunday against a worrying backdrop of the war in Ukraine and China's growing assertiveness. The meeting, which includes ministers from the United States, Japan, Germany, Britain, France, Canada, Italy and a representative from the European Union, comes ahead of a leaders' summit that Prime Minister Fumio Kishida will host in Hiroshima next month. Emergency authorities in Western Australia are assessing damage from a tropical cyclone that hit the state's northwest, sparing heavily populated areas but affecting several remote communities. The storm is the second extreme weather event this year in the state's northwest. Once in a century, floods lashed the vast Kimberley region further north in January. And Sudan's head of state and army chief, General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan, is prepared to take any step to solve an ongoing standoff with the powerful paramilitary Rapid Support Forces. A group of mediators, including leaders of other paramilitary groups, said in a statement today. Sudanese medics said that at least 22 people have been shot and killed in violence in West Darfur state over the past week. And that's your Monocle Radio News. Now, let's have a look at the day's papers with Yossi Meckelberg, who's an associate fellow at Chatham House and a lecturer in international relations at the University of Roehampton. Yossi, last time we spoke was about three weeks ago and you were just on your way to Israel. Good morning. Yes, and I just came back to three days ago. And as always, it's, it's a fascinating country. On the one hand, you have fantastic time. It's, it's the spring, which is the best time to visit Israel. On the other hand, there is political turmoil there. And you're between the protest and terrorist attack and retaliation. And it's all happening at the same time. In the middle is the celebration of Passover and for Muslims, the Ramadan and Easter in between. So you expect on the one hand celebration, on the other hand clashes. And this was prob- <laughs> the, 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 the crux of this visit. Mm, so, I mean, you really got a snapshot of this 
highly complex situation in, in the one visit. Uh, did you join in the protest at all? I know you'd planned to. I, I planned and I did. It's become sort of a family thing. Saturday night, people pick up the flags. And it's interesting because you don't expect it, what you regard as liberal progressive, to see so many flags because usually you associate it with the right and nationalists. But it's a very interesting way, the way that actually the more progressive forces, the democratic forces, actually take the flags, took ownership of the flag and say, when we resist the judiciary coup, when we resist moving the country from a democratic system to dictatorship, we do it as patriots. Don't tell us we are wishy-washy liberals, we don't care about the country, we'll give away the country to the Arabs just <laughs> in a day. No, we do it as a patriots because we believe in, in a democracy, but at the same time we believe in the Jewish state. It brings with it problems because if you mention, like people like me, would, as you would expect, mention there is a link between the deterioration of the democratic system and the occupation, they said, don't mention the Palestinians. This is not the time to do that. We'll deal with it later. I was very suspicious of that. How much later you're going to deal with the Palestinians or your side? But this is, this is a snapshot. At the same time, a place that just in, a night before walked along the promenade, there was a, oh, possibly, we don't know if... Uh, most people say it was a terrorist attack because there was a car ramming there that killed an Italian uh, tourist and injured a few others. It might have been an accident as well. They're still investigating. It looked like a terrorist attack. There was a terrible terrorist attack in the West Bank, killing a mother and two of, of, of her daughters. And then they usually, you know, rockets from Lebanon and rockets from Gaza and Israel retaliating with, with air raids. And we're in the same place and, and clashes in the Al-Aqsa Mosque. But the good thing, good thing in relative terms, like if two years this kind of clashes really got out of control to a full-blown war, it seems no one has interest in this and it come down and let's hope it stays like this. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, Israel is also known for its highly effective secret service, Mossad, and it's hard yeah. to think that Mossad would allow any uh, secrets from uh, internally to leak out onto the internet. However, that's exactly what's happened in mm -hmm. the US. Uh, everybody's been following this US leak very, very closely. There's now been an arrest. Uh, it was a 21-year-old. He was part of the National Guard. Uh, tell us what you're reading on this. It's interesting you mentioned Israel in this context because one of the most successful industry right now in Israel is cybersecurity to the tune of, of $13 billion. So it's, it's big of a country of 9 million people. But having said that, whenever there is cybersecurity, there are exactly the same people or other people that know as much as those who deal with cybersecurity how to hack into system. And that's the scary thing about what happened. Those are 20, 21 years old. You could probably can get 15, 16 years old. That's no stuff that probably... My age, I don't understand much anymore about this, just to get into computer and, and kind of the, what's supposed to be the most kept secret. Now, what is embarrassing for the United States about that, which we all know that countries spy one another, whether it's a friend or foe, but it's always embarrassing when you, all re, when you also spy on your, on your friends. So there is kind of a bit like a pantomime. Wow, you know, someone is spying on us. <laughs> but, but they all know they do because information is, is, is power and they need... But the fact that we, we, we saw it with the, the, the Assange affair and with Snowden affair, 
people hack into computers and they can spread it on platforms that most of us never heard about them before. And in no time, they become public knowledge. What governments would like to keep secret, whether it's a war in Ukraine, relations with China, relation, for instance, with Egypt, so thinking about supplying rockets to Russia while it gets $1 billion a year from the United States. So all of these things that diplomatic think, if I keep these secrets to myself, it gives me the power because they don't know that I know about it and I can use it whenever it's convenient. Then come at 21 years in rural Massachusetts and tell the world, oh, Is what. Mm. I mean, it's interesting that you mention Assange and Snowden because this, in a way, is completely different. Yeah. They did it f- for their reasons. They felt that this stuff needed to be in the public yeah. domain. This kid looked like he was just kind of showing off to his mates on a very, very small platform, and he kind of lost control of that information. Not that I imagine that intention will play any part in the court case. Yeah, because they already were asked for 10 years for each of the cars, which means at least 20 years in jail yeah. if the prosecutor gets get its way. But the idea that you see there, and again, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I have background in electronics, and when you are 17, 18, 19, you, you get into this because it's a challenge. Again, as you say, to show off your friends, I'm better than you in doing that. I can build better platforms than you. I can hack into computers better than you. And then it gets out of control. And then you feel, all right, I got into a cache of, of information that is top, top secret. What am I doing that? But then at the same time, <laughs> the temptation to show off, listen, I'm, I enter this computer and the other computer. The problem, then you lose very quickly control because it's one platform, then someone else spread it. And it ended on Twitter, which is, then you have hundreds and hundreds of millions can, can read it. And... It's, it's a lesson for all of us about cybersecurity. We also think that because we have a password on our <laughs> mobile phone, no one can read it. So here we are. Everyone yeah. can read everything on our computers, on our mobile phones. So the idea, I think from a state point of view, the idea there are state secrets. They do exist. It's a bit of an illusion. Again, if, if young guys like this can do that. Absolutely. Let's find out what uh, we've learned in the last seven days from <laughs> Andrew Muller. We learned this week that the red squirrel, Scurrus vulgaris, that is, may not be all that bright. Unless, and this is a possibility, we learned this about one specific red squirrel. What happened was this. In Dortmund, an alert citizen noticed a red squirrel wedged haplessly in the grating of a manhole cover. Well, yes. But we shortly learned further that the red squirrel is not merely idiotic, but bad-tempered. The wedged rodent bit a chunk out of its prospective saviour, who then summoned professional help from the fire brigade, who also found the creature uncooperative. Nevertheless, after a brief struggle, and come on, let's have a clip evoking German firefighters extracting a foul-tempered squirrel from a manhole cover. Do you think I've got all day for this nonsense? Excellent work, thank you. After a brief struggle, the squirrel was freed and ran up a tree, as squirrels will. But we learned that there may have been still more to it. We learned that Dortmund's fire brigade was not prepared to formally rule out the possibility that this was exactly the same squirrel they had liberated from exactly the same predicament four years previously. Don't encourage him. 
And that'll probably do with the music. Yes, we know it's Alvin and the Chipmunks, and Chipmunks aren't squirrels. And yes, we know that there is slash was a band called the Squirrels. The long-running Seattle novelty punk supergroup because we're cool like that. But we chose to go on this occasion with the populist option as our market research has indicated that this is what you peasants want. Anyway... We learned that she's back. And as Prime Minister, I simply underestimated the scale and depth of this resistance. Is an interpretation of events, yes. We know what you're now thinking. You're now thinking we went big on that squirrel yarn in order to land some extremely cheap bait-and-switch gag which would be set up by leadenly asserting that there is no equivalence between extremely former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss and a squirrel stuck in a manhole cover and possibly not for the first time before pivoting to a clanging punchline about how nobody could possibly confuse them because one is a clearly bewildered creature bafflingly unwilling to extricate itself from a cycle of obviously self-destructive behaviour and wasting the resources of the state and testing the patience of the public while so doing, and the other is a squirrel, but we're better than that, and you should be as well. Can I get some general muttered agreement? Yeah. Anyway, we learned that the very short list of people interested in hearing from Liz Truss ever again apparently includes weirdo American think tank the Heritage Foundation. Either that or the chainsaw juggler was a late cancellation. And we learned from Truss's oration that she has learned less than might have been hoped from what one would have imagined is the instructive experience of getting turfed out of Downing Street by one's own colleagues after just seven calamitous weeks in office. Last autumn, I had a major setback. See also Custer's last setback, the setback of the Light Brigade, the setback of the Old 97, the decline and setback of the Roman Empire, and so forth. Sticking with the subject of economic mismanagement precipitating carnage, we learned that Belgians take the dull board game Monopoly extremely seriously. Or at least that four Belgians take the dull board game Monopoly extremely seriously. And if you can't extrapolate wild generalizations about an entire nation from the eccentricities of a statistically insignificant proportion of the population, what even is the point of having a whimsical news monologue? We learned that the sleep of one neighbourhood of Brussels had been disturbed by a passionate game of Monopoly occurring among four Belgians on the footpath at circa five o'clock in the damn morning. Minutes of desultory research on our part have not determined whether or not they were playing classic generic London Monopoly or the actual Brussels edition, which does exist, we looked it up, and we learned that the creepy urinating child statue, the Brusseloise, are so weirdly fond of is one of the 100 euro properties on the bottom row. Fascinating. We learned that a pair of unwillingly roused citizens sought to remonstrate with the monopolists armed with a stick and a samurai scimitar, after which an amount of mayhem ensued. <laughs> 
We will learn in due course whether one Belgian judge possesses the superhuman composure that will be necessary to conclude this case without sentencing the defendants to jail, directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. For Monocle Radio, I'm Andrew Mullet. Many thanks there to Andrew. This is Monocle on Saturday and still with me is Yossi Meckelberg. Yossi, um, Biden's visit, Joe Biden's visit to Ireland is, of course, all over uh, the press. Lots and lots of coverage on this. Biden looking quite tearful in some of them, being quite emotional about this reunion with his roots. Uh, Tell us more. Yeah, I think it's exactly 60 years since JFK visited there, and he was very proud of the Irish roots, but no one more so than, than Biden himself. He talks a lot about his Irish roots, though they're going back to the 19th century. It's not that fresh off the boat from, from, <laughs> from Ireland. They're talking about great grand, and he's not the youngest of, uh, of presidents. So we're talking, you know, 150 years back. But as the, you know, we're talking about more than 40 million probably Americans with Irish roots. So the, cynic, the cynics will say, you know, it has a lot to do with, with election coming out and it's nice to show your Irish roots when you're about to announce you're running for, for a second term. But I think in the case of Biden, it's, it's genuine, it's true. And you see how he's moved in the places where his ancestors uh, came from. I think sometimes we, people so f- forgot that the, the reason for this visit is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement that brought to an end the, 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 the war in, in Northern Ireland to you know, so-called the euphemism of the troubles in, in Northern Ireland. And I think it's important, that especially at such a sensitive time, when Brexit intervened, obviously with Good Friday Agreement and, and put it on the line and, and question, can, can it survive? Uh, Stormont is, is still not functioning, you know, just to try to bring it to, to work uh, again. So I think symbolically it was very important. But it's also interesting, while uh, President Biden devoted one day to Northern Ireland, he spent three days in the Republic. Again, some would argue that maybe the Republic of Ireland is being part of the EU and the UK is not. Mm. Is more important now than the entire UK. I, I doubt if the real reason, but it can be also it play plays a part. Mm, the I relations mean, with the EU more than the relations with the United Kingdom. Biden was deputy uh, president, wasn't he? When Obama said, "You leave Europe, you go to the back of the queue." And he was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are in the back of the queue because all this illusion that oh immediately will sign trade agreements, free trade zones with the United States. Here we are. You know, we forget the, the referendum was 2016, almost ancient history. It's, it's, it's four prime ministers ago here in, in, in the UK. And still we are, we, are, we, we are grappling with the issue. Who would like to sign agreements with a country out of the EU when you have the EU on, on, on our doorstep? And, and let alone we see kind of the, the, the projection of the IMF about growth in the UK. And it's quite bleak compared to all of our competitors in, in, the, in the international trade uh, zones. So this is exactly, maybe this is part of it. But I think there is an American issue. I think almost every American politician looks from some Irish roots. It looks, I know we don't always think from this part of the water, Irish as exotic, but I think for many Americans, because maybe we have similar weather, but for many Americans, it looks exotic. The, the, 
the, the roots of, 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 of many Americans is in, 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 in Ireland. And the reasons to move from Ireland, again, because it's for poor, and they look for the, 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 the place of great opportunities when they can send their children to college, where can they make a living in different from Ireland at the time. The interesting, actually, Ireland now is a very prosperous place. Mm, yeah. <laughs> there, there are growth rates as good as any other country in the EU or better even in the United States. So it's a bit of a reverse why people left Ireland such a long time ago. Let's look at something that is, is uh, uh, also booming, uh, but moving. And this is electronic chips. This has become such a hot topic. We, we usually don't think that actually behind everything that we are using this day, including in this studio, there, there are semiconductors and the mobile phones, the computer we're using. But we don't think, for instance, our coffee machines. The more sophisticated they are, the more they have chips. Tell us exactly when the milk is going to froth. Modern uh, refrigerators, fridges. I can tell, tell you just observed me almost kicking the coffee machine outside in the room. <laughs> what happened to the semiconductors there? <laughs> well, I don't get it as fast as I wanted. But yeah, but it's the same. The fridges, the modern ones that are going to tell us when we are out of milk and egg and everything. It's all done. Now, two things we learned. When the concentration of the, the, the manufacturing of semiconductors, it was called as chips, Mesophates is in, in Taiwan, in Japan, in Korea. So it's become also a geoeconomic issue as much as, as economics one. And also COVID told us that when things go wrong, all of a sudden we can't get these semiconductors close to home when we manufacture some of it or we need to bring some of these goods from the other side of the world. So there is a strong drive in the United States. The Biden administration spends hundreds of billions to encourage manufacturers actually to manufacture semiconductor in the United States. And just now Intel is, is about to launch or to build a site in Germany to the tune of 80 billion euro. So it's moving closer to home to make sure that we saw it many years ago during an earthquake in Taiwan. Prices of computers and all other equipment went up immensely because there is shortage. Mm. Taiwan manufacture around 24% of, of all chips in the world. You put Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan together in China, it's most of the semiconductor. So this is a different drive that tells the connection between geoeconomics, geopolitics, and the relations now, especially when relations between the United States and China are getting tenser and tenser. As a result, part of it is, is the issue of Taiwan. We'll see the move of manufacturing of, of semiconductors back to Europe and, and the United States. Which is a measure of just how seriously people are taking the situation. We are yeah. heading to some kind of spark point there. Because we need a coffee machine to work in the morning. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, just before we go, let's have a little chat about theatre because I went to see Guys and Dolls this week. Oh. Oh. What a feel-good, wonderful show. I mean, I'm not the first to say that it's got fantastic reviews. It's at the Bridge Theatre. The staging is incredible. The stage comes up and down. It moves. There are, I, I had a, a seat, but there are a lot of people that stand around. It's kind of immersive mm -hmm. theatre. Absolutely wonderful. And just some of the performances were absolutely stunning. Staggering. I was just, I would encourage anybody who can get a ticket to go. Very difficult to, to get tickets. We were immensely lucky. Have you seen anything that struck you recently? 
The two last ones, you see, that one struck me more than the other. As we, somehow we managed to get tickets to see Matilda. And I felt, maybe I'm a bit too old to watch Matilda, <laughs> as much as I love the story. <laughs> and, and all the, But it's, again, sometimes it's not about the story itself, it's the spectacle, it's the, the performance itself that you mesmerize by it, you know, the way that they're on stage. But more interestingly, it's come to the complete opposite, was the, the play Lemons, 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 which is... Only two wonderful actors. It's, it's, it's a play by Sam Steiner. It's all about relationship and how they evolve. And almost kind of the, the nature of relation, the, the small secrets in life, they are not big ones, but what makes relations sometimes, and how they come to a crescendo towards the end. I won't say what the end, in case you want to go and, and watch it. But it was again, it's all about the opposite of Matilda. It's all about the dialogues and great acting on stage by mm. two wonderful actors. Yossi Meckelberg, thank you very much indeed. I too saw a two-hander this week, and I'll tell you all about it after the break. Monocle's springy April issue includes our retail survey. Here we rate the retailers, CEOs and shops improving the cities they call home. We tour a New York bookshop that's starting a new chapter and meet the CEO reviving Helsinki's best department store. Elsewhere, we visit a Spanish enclave bordering Morocco, head to the runway for the final Boeing 747 delivery in Washington and hit the dance floor in Barcelona. You'll also find plenty of fashion tips in our annual style survey, plus plenty of travel and hospitality picks to put a spring in your step this season. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today or subscribe to get instant access online. I've had a very exciting theatrical week and one of the plays I saw this week was The Woman Who Turned Into a Tree. It's by the Swedish playwright Lisa Langset, and she's in the studio with me now. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. It's an extraordinary play and it was performed here in English, but of course it's, it was originally written in Swedish. Yes. And it was performed in, in Sweden? Yes. Tell us more about that production and how it differs from this one. Oh, that production was more like a plain monologue and uh, now it's more turned into, because the director, Amelie Luizzo, uh, uh, used also physical performance from another actor. So it's been just wonderful to see another take on it, uh, which I liked a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us the premise then of the play. The play is about a woman who has a very uh, stiff outside and uh, during the play we we get a little glimpse of her life beyond the surface. So it's about the ideas we have that we, you know, push ourselves in the world and the ones you re- we really are behind. So she has a completely another universe behind the surface. Mm. Tell me what inspired the play originally. Yeah, I'm very interested in our behaviours, that we're kind of behaving, <laughs> we're really trying to be so perfect in front of each other and, and we keep all the uh, the troubles that we have and all the universes that we have, all of us have inside of us, like secret. And, uh, and, this, and this young woman really have a problem with her. She has a different personality in the inside that she has on the outside. And I think that is something that a lot of people 
people and especially young people today when you have social media and you should present yourself and you should be perfect that you're not really allowed yourself to you know bring your whole soul into your identity and she desperately wants to be viewed as classy that's her main thing yeah I mean she's also coming from a working class and a very hard background her father is mental ill so she really really are afraid of all the troubles that she struggle with you know from her background so she yeah she's dividing herself in two different personalities and it's about this idea of sort of reinventing yourself i wonder because she sort of discusses this in the play about how healthy it is should we be letting our true selves out yeah that's a very good question <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think you should, but of course it's hard. And it's also hard because of the society rules that we have around us. So it's, I mean, nowadays, I think uh, mental illness is so much about you know, your individual you know, troubles. And I think uh, I would prefer to look at mental illness in the more bigger view of society rules and, you know, how we can take care of each other in another way. Yeah. I mean, talking to people recently, somebody saying to me, you know, nobody's ever going to love me because I'm really quite strange. And I've, <laughs> I felt that the response to that was, well, you have agency. If you think that, that who you are is unpalatable to other people, well, find people who, A, will find it palatable. But maybe we all have a responsibility to slightly tailor who we are to be acceptable to a degree to the outside world. Yes. And I, I can completely understand your friend. I think we all have this feeling that we are more strange on the inside than, and, you know, try to hide things. Uh, so, of course, it's something that we all struggle with. And I think it would be just more interesting and more fun if we could share more of the strange side of ourselves. I mean, that makes it life more interesting as well. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I completely respect that drive to be your authentic self to everybody all the time. Mm. But we are guided by social niceties, aren't we? Yeah. And of course, it's a question, what is your true self? I mean, I truly believe that maybe we have different kind of personalities inside us. We also struggle to, you know, be whole and be true and so on. And, and it's this question of the play that maybe we should allow ourselves to be in different ways and Maybe we all have around 10 people inside of us wanting to come out. Sure. I mean, I just feel like the person inside of me that wants to leap out the car and punch someone in the face when they don't uh, indicate, yeah. perhaps, is somebody who maybe should stay hidden. <laughs> That's wonderful. Actually, that's a question of the play, really, because, I mean, she has she has a history of her father's illness and it's not so easy. So everything that's inside is good. Like you say, it could also be, uh, you know, problematic, but also it becomes more problematic if you hide it and hide it and hide it and it comes out in another way. So maybe if you... Maybe you don't have to punch them, but you could <laughs> yell at them, maybe, and let a little bit of it out. <laughs> uh, the character is called Daphne. Is mm. that it, with any relation to, to the ancient myth? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not strict to the myth at all, but I think it. I, I was interested in inviting the myth of, you know, inviting another dimension of how we look at the world today, because now we are so materialistic and we don't have any, you know, we don't have so much connection with the history and other dimensions. So using Daphne was a way to, you know, get another perspective and also getting closer to the history and the fairy tales and so on. But in the myth, 
she is really hunted by the god that raped her. And in this story, it's more about the society hunting her and how could she handle that. So she gets to know a tree that could, like in the myth, could, you know, turn her to something else. Because the main core of the myth and also in this play is someone who can't deal with reality, right? Can't be, you know, can't handle reality. So she has to leave reality as it is. That That's... That's the the common. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, as you say, it's got two actresses in it. Uh, a lot of physical theatre between them. A lot of mirroring going on. Uh, I thought it was beautifully staged. It's at the Omnibus Theatre. That's in Clapham. Yes. A lovely space. Yeah. Wonderful theatre. It's so nice and it's such a nice area. And also the theatre is just amazing. And all the people who works there. So it's on there until the. 22nd of April so it's not so many days left but uh, yeah it's completely it's it's a wonderful visit and also they work with very interesting projects there. Lisa Langset, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. The Woman Who Turned Into a Tree is a play by Swedish writer Lisa Langset. It's translated by Rochelle Wright and it's directed by Emily Loazu. It's running at the Omnibus Theatre in London until the 22nd of April. And that's it for the show this week. But Monocle on Saturday will return next weekend. I'm Georgina Godwin. I'll be with you throughout the day. But for now, from the rest of uh, the Monocle on Saturday team, goodbye and thanks for listening.